This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, I plan to discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join me. My guest today is my friend, Joe Bunting. I've been following him since my early days as an online teacher of memoir. And then we met online and began a lovely, generous process of sharing what we know with one another. In 2011, Joe founded The Write Practice, a community dedicated to learning the craft of creative writing through deliberate practice. Through that site, he has helped well over 10 million people with their writing. Joe is a writer who has written and co-written books on topics like leadership, creativity, resiliency, and travel. He's the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Let's Write a Story. His writing has been featured in Glimmer Train, Copy Blogger, Write to Done, and many others. But it's his new book that got me to call him to come on today. It's called Crowdsourcing Paris, and it's a real-life adventure story set in Paris, and it's a total joy. So he's what we refer to when we say multi-platform, since along with the right practice and his own published works, he's also produced and hosted his podcast, Character Test, where he examines good characters of all kinds, then draws out the practical tips, lessons, and strategies listeners can use to improve the stories they're telling with their own lives. So with all that, welcome, Joe. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Marion. And I just want to say, Marion, that you were so encouraging to me as I was writing my memoir and you gave me hope that one day <laughs> I would have something worth sharing. So thank you so much for the work you do and continue to do. Well, that's lovely. I have the stretch marks to prove it, Joe. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> so let's start with that new book because it's been an exciting process to read and listen and talk. You have a remarkable successful online presence with your site, The Right Practice. You've helped so many people improve their writing habits. It's wildly successful and everyone I know reads it. And yet, a few years ago, you proposed to walk out of your life in Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. taking your wife and children with you to move to Paris, and you proposed to write about it. I, I absolutely remember you pitching this idea to me, <laughs> but how in the world did you pitch the, this to those people who depend on you for food and shelter? What did you say to your wife? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, my wife was not excited and and. From the beginning of our relationship, I had told her that I wanted to travel the world and write, <laughs> uh, you know, to live that ideal uh, writer's lifestyle where you just like go around to all the places and you write books and then you move on. And that sounded so perfect to me. And when I originally told her that idea, when we were still dating, she was like, I never want to do that. That sounds horrible to me. So was it in the vows or what? I mean, how did you ever get well, there? <laughs> so eventually, I think I wore her down and I had this idea. My grandmother was, uh, she was talking about getting married in Florence and we were all for her 85th birthday, actually. 
we were all as a family going to go out to Florence and celebrate her and her birthday and maybe her marriage, uh, which didn't end up happening. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were going to, we had to go to Florence anyway. I thought this is the time. This is when we begin our nomadic lifestyle of traveling the oh, world and writing. Man. And I pitched mm-hmm. her on the idea. And, and the, I knew she loves Paris. And I knew that if I talked about going to, let's say, Southeast Asia or Japan or Australia or somewhere like that, she would totally hate that idea. She would never want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I told her, let's go live in Paris for a while. And she still hated the no. idea. <laughs> But she thought about it a little bit. And later that night, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, she started sharing this idea as if it was her idea that we were going to go move to uh, Paris. And that's kind of where the story that's came That's good. From. Well, that's good strategy. Make somebody else think it's their idea. I get <laughs> it. So moving to Paris and writing has, of course, been yes. done before, probably most famously by Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald. But... And But here's the twist. I mean, like while like many writers before you, you thought Paris would be the perfect escape. And like many writers before you, you were a little short of cash to make this dream come true. Unlike anyone I've ever known, you ended up crowdsourcing piece, a piece yeah. of this. So talk to us about yeah, that. Yeah, so it, it really came out of panic, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So we had <laughs> writers and yeah, panic. Yes, there's right. a history there. So mm-hmm. we had made this plan to go to Paris. We had actually found this amazing apartment in Montmartre. We uh, had bought our plane tickets. And then a month before we were planning to go, this apartment that we had rented fell through and we had to find a mm-hmm. new apartment. And so we were kind of frantically looking around. We found this great one in Saint Germain. And we got it, but it was like a thousand dollars more than what we originally planned on spending. And uh, I had to figure out how we were going to raise. I think we were going to be like six hundred dollars short, as I did the math. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how am I going to make six hundred dollars at the time? This was 2014. I was still a young, up and coming writer. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I wasn't making a lot of money. My wife had just quit her job and I had no idea how I was going to get $600. And I had this idea to write a book and then, you know, just about my experience in Paris, being a writer in Paris, writing where Hemingway wrote, all of that. And I sent it out to a few people and they hated the idea. They thought it was really mm-hmm. boring. They were like, why would anyone read a book about you sitting in cafes and writing? That sounds so mm-hmm. dumb. that's that's feedback you need to hear and uh they said it they kept saying it needs more adventure and for me i'm i've been on some adventures but i wouldn't say i'm an adventure seeker um so i had this idea to share this with my audience and involve my audience and ask them what adventures i should do in paris and I ended up getting, oh, it's a, yeah, love that. like over a hundred ideas. You got 12, right? Did you get 12? Is that right? Did you get, tw- and you got 12 or you got more than 12 ideas, but you did 12? Yeah, is that, I got is over that it? a hundred ideas. I picked the top 12. That's it. And then I did them. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, man. So you get to Paris, you get the apartment, you live on the streets where Hemingway and Fitzgerald have lived. You're in the city of some of the greatest bookstores in the world. And how do you keep it all from becoming cliche? How do you keep it from that that feedback that you originally got from those friends who said, you know, because I remember talking mm-hmm. to you during that phase and several of them said it's kind of been yeah. done, hasn't it? So it's because you had the people choose and you chose from that 100 adventures list, you got the 12. But how would you keep the writing from becoming cliche? Is it through the adventures or is it through the yeah, writing? I mean, it, it was a challenge. I, this book took me five years to write and I had to mm-hmm. really learn how, I think, to become a writer. You know, by, before I started working on this book, I had already finished five books. Um, so I knew the process of writing, but I was still learning the craft, I think. And, uh, and I learned so much more through this book and how to tell a really good story. I've always felt like anything I write needs to have three things. One, it needs to tell a good story. And by good story, I mean, it, it just has to be fun enough that you want to keep reading, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Two, it, it needs to be beautifully written. And three, it mm-hmm. has to evoke emotion. Um, because I love mm-hmm. the experience of reading something and it just like you're overcome with emotion. That's so exciting for me. So I wanted to do all those three things. And I feel like even as a, after I wrote the first draft and even the second draft, like I had accomplished number two and number three pretty well. It was well written. There were some passages that were just really beautiful. It evoked some emotion, uh, but how do you tell a good story? And I think that's always a challenge when you're writing memoir, taking mm-hmm. your Absolutely. whole life and trying to find the story in the middle of that. And yeah, it took me it took me five yeah. years to figure out how to do it, and I think I finally did it. Um, but it, it was definitely a, well, a hard it's five work. years well spent. Yes, it was definitely hard work. We communicated during that process and it's hard work that's absolutely worth it. It's risky too, because you're, here you are, this person who runs this large practice that's giving advice to writers and here you are yeah. writing. And so one of the things we debate all the time in the writing world and the online world is are we scooping ourselves? Are we telling our readers too much online? So a few weeks ago on Cordy, I interviewed Mm -hmm. Jane Friedman, whose expertise on the business of writing is absolutely legendary. And we discussed this whole debate of whether a person can write online and not scoop themselves. So where do you stand on this idea? Do we run the risk of, of, of our readers not buying the book if they feel they've already, they already know the story because of our online lives? Yeah. I mean, I think that's always such a challenge and often, I mean, as I was thinking about this book and wanting to get it out into the world, I think I struggled with that question so much. And really, mm-hmm. you know, probably took a year too long to finally publish it because I was worried, you know, what does this say about me and, and my career and my trajectory? And, um, and I don't really have like all the answers and, and whether this was the right move or the wrong move, even writing this book, was it the perfect project? But I did know two things. One, I needed to write it. And I needed to share it. I think as writers, mm-hmm. we have a duty to share our story and to share writing with mm-hmm. the world. Um, and 
too. I mean, I think we can get too much in our heads about what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do and whether this is going to help me in my career or not. You know, I was looking at a children's book writer. I have three small kids. Uh, they're six, four, and two years old right now. So we read a lot of mm -hmm. children's books and there was... Yeah. Yes, you do. And there was this one author who I had read and she was an award-winning author. I'm totally blanking on her name right now, but um, she won all these great awards. I think the Newbery Medal, um, some others. And I was looking through the list of books that she wrote and I thought that, you know, she just had written all these award-winning books and that's it. But then I found as I was looking at her whole list of books that she had actually written over a hundred children's books. And there you go with that wonderful moment, isn't it? When you realize, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. She practiced, she got here exactly that way. And so I some see. of those books were award winning and some of them were more genre and commercial. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's the books that she you know, won these amazing awards for that were more kind of literary children's books that she is known for now, but probably during her career, she was more known for her other books. And I think about Mark Twain too, and, mm -hmm. you know, during his lifetime, and he was a huge inspiration for me as I was working on this book. During his lifetime, he was most known as a travel writer and someone who gave speeches. Mm -hmm. And it was only later in mm -hmm. his life uh, that he wrote these novels and they weren't very famous. Like no one read his novels really during his lifetime. It was after his life that those kind of became what we think of him as now. And I just think that that sense well, of legacy, I mean, I think legacy is complicated and how much we share online and offline and in print is complicated. And sometimes you just have to put your work out into the world. Absolutely. It, you can overthink this constantly. And I think of you, early in that answer, you referred to this book as something you had to write. And I think um, having been raised in a fairly traditional Judeo-Christian ethic, I I think of those those books, those stories sometimes as the roll away the stone books. In other words, we have to roll this one through our lives to get to the ones that are behind it. And it it just says to you, I, you know, mm -hmm. I ha you have to write this. Sometimes you sit down to write one mm -hmm. story and another one pops up. I speak to writers all day long and I always say to them, respond to that. There's something there. That one will give you access to the next. And I think it's an important thing to, to, to respond to. So what you did with this one, um, I mean, there are all manners of publishing available to writers and you cover this on your website and, and we have huge decisions when we go to publish. So let's talk about what writers can expect these days. We used to think of self-publishing. It, it used to be referred to as vanity publishing, and now it's become mm. this great adventure. It's really like uh, something that is available to everybody. In fact, the industry, I read in an industry magazine today that the the that the increase is 156% since 12, 2012 in, in self-publishing, literally more than a million titles currently on the self-published market. And you chose to self-publish this book. So walk us through what you'll do to push that book out into the market with everything that you know. How will you get us to see it and and know about it. What what's your plan for the yeah. for the promotion of Yeah, so I've been writing online for oh goodness, since 2008. Uh, so I've built this audience mm -hmm. of fans over the last, you know, 10 or so years, um, especially through the right practice and that's kind of 
uh, where mm -hmm. I've been working the longest. Um, so right now, you know, we have uh, over a hundred thousand people who get our emails almost daily, uh, and most of these are writers, so they're not like the perfect target market uh, for a book like this, which is a memoir and it's about my own story and life. Um, but one of the things we have done is is shared that with them and uh, mm -hmm. and you know the people who have read it have really loved it and, and the book kind of has a little bit about my writing process in it. So it does appeal to writers, Good. I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, well, yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense. So that was the first step. And now I'm kind of going to other influencers and friends and other writers that I know and respect and have been either following for a long time or I'm actually friends with um, and sharing the book with mm -hmm. them and uh, kind of trying to, to get them to see what it's about and maybe they'll share it with their audience. Well, that word influencers is something we all laughed mm. at the first time we heard it. And now if you want to understand how to create a series of stepping stones through the world of promotion, influencers are absolutely something you need to take seriously. And they do exist and they're online. And this is how you and I met is we met online. I don't remember who first approached whom, but you and I and Jeff Goins have met each other online in one yeah. order or the other, for instance. And it works this way that we say, what's your new book? Let's promote your new book and we'll do a webinar together and we'll share an email together and introduce our audiences to the same thing. And yes, I love this. It's about gathering a bunch of people who are like-minded and sharing expertise. And I just can't see a single thing wrong with it. So I use the word influencers too. And I like people to get more comfortable with it because I think the sooner you do, the more you can understand the ability. Mm -hmm. It's just community. Right. It's just absolutely utilizing a community that you've already created that you know is yeah, interested in your stuff. So, so I let's think it's talk. so important yeah, uh, to realize that this isn't really a new idea. Like writers have always had these circles and communities of friends. Uh, you know, we were talking about Hemingway in Paris, and he had all of these friends, including Gertrude Stein and Ezra Pound. And he actually said about them that they were people who could help a writer up the rungs of a career, which I love. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense that mm -hmm. throughout history in the writing and arts profession, there have been these groups of like-minded people who are generously helping each other. Uh, and I think we all need that. And we, we have it's a true. myth that the writer is this kind of lone genius working out in their, you know, upstate New York uh, cabin or their Paris <laughs> attic apartment or whatever. whatever. And the reality yep. is, is it's yep. all about relationship. Yeah. It is. I always tell people to care and feed, care for and feed the first editor that, mm. that ever says yes to them, because that person is going to end up someplace else and go with them wherever they go, go with them. And with that in mind, some of my best friends have ended up in various places in publishing and online publishing and best-selling authors. And while it's just been a joy to go watch their careers, we mm. also have taken each other along. So I agree with you. It's all about community. So let's talk a little bit more about 
the right practice. People love it. And, and one of my favorite aspects of it are your tutorials. Mm-hmm. You have online tutorials on the short story, characterization, grammar, interviewing. It's very practical. And in that, your core message yeah. seems to be to practice. So what does writing practice, how does writing practice work? And what does it look like the way you Yeah, I've teach always it? felt that uh, you can get too much in your head with learning the process of writing. You know, there's so much theory about writing uh, and it can end up, you know, where you don't actually write. You're just learning all this stuff and not actually using it. And one thing we've always tried to do is guide people through the process of putting what they're learning to use immediately. I think we need to Mm -hmm. not just be learning new things, but actually doing it. Uh, And whether that's in a writing prompt mm-hmm. or, and I know not, you're not the biggest fan of writing prompts, but I think from a practice standpoint, it can work. Uh, but also, you know, in your own books and uh, in your editing and, and all of your work, just putting these things to use uh, as soon as you can so that you can kind of cement that lesson. Mm-hmm. So we've been teaching creative writing yeah. uh, online. I have since 2011. I think we've helped you know, over 10 million people, probably way more than that. But the best part of what we get to do is is really help people practice. And we've probably had, you know, over 50,000 uh, writing practices over the last 10 years, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And I think that this is where you and I intersect. No, I don't use writing prompts, but you talk about putting to use what you know as soon as possible. And that's what I call writing with intent. So I've always loved where we intersect there. So you have a lot going on. And I get this question every day from the people I work with. How do we compartmentalize? You get, you've been writing this memoir, you've, you, you write fiction, you like sh- to write short stories, you run this large online writing site. Obviously you have three children, a wife, family, et cetera. So the compartmentalization um, is there, I think what I really wanna talk about is when we help others with their craft, does that in some, in any way, steal from our own writing time? And, and how do we manage those feelings? I, I have my own theory on that. And, I'm, and I've got my own sort of guru of person years ago who gave mm. me some great advice about that. But how about you? I mean, you want to get to your own work and yet your business is to help others. How do you compartmentalize? How do you make that distinction Goodness. and feel good that about it? That is a tough both? question. I'd love to know how you do it. Maybe you can give me your advice first. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what this person said to me years ago that has changed my life. And yes, it sounds like a bumper sticker and I just (laughs) don't care. She said, it's not Mm. your energy to keep. And honestly, I remember when she said it and something happened inside my Mm. body and it's like my shoulders dropped. And I must've been frantic at the moment saying, I don't know how I'm supposed to manage this. I mean, I haven't written a word of my own stuff. You know, one of those tirades. And she said, but Mm. you help thousands of people a year. And you give them what you know, and it's not, Mm. after all, your energy to keep. And since then, it's changed everything. In other words, I think, I literally, and I keep meaning to write about this, I kind of think that the world of people in writing is is divided into some the same thing that the world of cooking is divided into. Those people who share recipes but leave out one ingredient, 
and those people who share recipes and mm. put everything in there that's needed. You know, the people who 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 don't want you to succeed, they leave out that one ingredient. That's because they're afraid that you might succeed. And you seem to be not afraid of anyone else succeeding. That you just you move that energy as it as my friend mm. said to me right out into the world. And I feel that way mm. after her telling me that that there's there's no threat here. Just give it every, leave it all on the field, right? Or as the people at ConvertKit used yeah. to say. Teach everything you know. Just just put it all no, out that's there. Good. So if that helps you, that's what I was yeah, told. I, I, what I do you went think? Through a phase of like a couple of years, not focusing on my own writing and just focusing on teaching, and uh, and I felt so I don't know, kind of like a fraud <laughs> for a long time, and and I didn't mm-hmm. want to feel like that anymore, mm-hmm. and, and so I you know made that a bigger part of my time in life and was intentional about, you know, spending several months working on a book, had a novel that later, mm-hmm. and I think that was really important for me, both for my own learning and also for my teaching. I think we who, we who are teachers need to be uh, practicing <laughs> and uh, we mm-hmm. who are practicing need to be teaching too. I mean, I think that's how you learn. You learn through teaching best of all. Um, so there is this give and take There's a in good the one. process of both both taking in and you know using that knowledge to write great books and then also passing along to the next generation of writers, whoever that might be, so that they can grow mm-hmm. and get better too. That's great. So in my intro, I spoke of you being the author of the number one Amazon mm-hmm. bestseller, Let's Write a Short Story. And I think that's cool and fun and wonderful. And I, I love the platform that you have and that you try a lot of things. And But the world changes really fast online. And so when you give writers advice specifically about online, do should they write first on their own blogs? Does anyone still read? other people's blogs? Do you advise people to test their material on large online Mm. writing sites before they attempt a book? What are you, you know, my listeners are all writers and they want your advice. So where are they testing these ideas in the public best these days in in this exact moment? That's such a good question. Yeah. I think especially for creative writers, um, if you're writing Mm -hmm. memoir or if you're writing a novel, uh, the best place is to start is with you know shorter works of what you're trying to do so writing essays and writing short stories um, i think those are the best practices because you have to practice writing finished pieces you have to practice sharing those pieces you have to practice getting feedback and making those pieces better uh or <laughs> or abandoning them because yeah. <laughs> maybe that's yes. it's just needs to be done Um, And and publishing. I think publishing is something we all need to practice. It's not just the end result. It's something we have to Mm -hmm. be doing again and again. So I think short fiction and short memoir essays can be an amazing way to practice. And I think uh, writing books can Mm -hmm. be practice. And that's kind of an an obvious next step. And certainly where the market is, is in terms of books, especially for Mm -hmm. novels. Um, I do think people read blogs. I don't think if you're a novelist, you need to be writing blogs. Um, I think if you're right. a memoir writer, they could work and they, you know, you might be better served by working at a newspaper or submitting to other 
journals. Um, you know, you would know more about that than me. But I think, especially for uh, for fiction writers, uh, you don't have to have a blog. You should be writing books and hopefully a lot of books. Um, and that's the way to grow and and certainly where the market is. That's That reminds me, years ago, I had the great good fortune to have dinner with one of my favorite mm-hmm. novelists. His name is Pete Dexter. And people know him from Paris Trout, but they also know him from The Sports Writer and a bunch of other wonderful, wonderful novels. And I was just absolutely thrilled to be invited to introduce him on a stage and and to get to go to dinner with him. But I didn't expect writing advice from him. And I finally, he had just written a book. It had come out. He'd gotten some bad reviews. And I asked him at dinner, I said, how are you doing with those reviews? And he looked up from his steak and he said, you know, there are a lot worse things a man could do in this lifetime than write a few bad books. <laughs> I love that. And I just have loved him even more from that moment on. But let's just, as we start to wrap this up, let's just talk a little bit about the different kind of feedback. You talked about feedback and you have to get used to it. And even after all the years I've been writing and the books I've written and remaking myself online, Mm. I still get pushback from some of members of my family. Um, I mean, I have people that still say things like, are, are you are you like ever going to get a real job? And so does your generation provide the support you need to do what you do? Is it so different for you because you all grew up as digital natives? Or do you still have some relatives that ask you if you're ever going to get a real job? Um, that's a great question. I, you know, I wish that I had more drama in my family so we could kind of unpack it. But uh <laughs> I'll come to Thanksgiving at my house then. I'll give you a couple of relatives who will quiz you till you just can't eat any more cranberry sauce. Trust me. No, my my family actually, you know, I my family is so supportive. And at the same time, you know, my biggest critic, I think, when I was working on this novel, I gave uh, some members of my family this book to read. And I had the most painful and hilarious like responses. My dad said, so what kind of feedback do you want from me? Cause I, he's like, I don't know if I really get it. <gasps> and I'm like, well, you know, the book is coming out in a week. So no feedback right now, unless it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. That's a great response. Yeah. So ask for what you really need. I always say to people, when you give somebody something to read, tell them what you're looking for. If you don't want content feedback, if you just want grammar and punctuation, if you only want content, just tell them mm. because otherwise you confuse them, first of all. So and your dad asked the right question yeah. there. And, you know, and how much he came back later and Whew. you know, when the book was finished, I made some changes, not based on his feedback, but just because they needed to be done. And he read the book and now is like the biggest fan and sharing it with all his friends and my mom oh. too. And my sisters actually both read the book and sent me these amazing text messages. There's one chapter in the book uh, that, you know, you're in you're in Paris and I'm there with my wife and it's a very romantic city. And, you know, the book is not a explicit in any way, but there are some parts that talk about sexuality mm-hmm. And uh, my mm-hmm. uh, my sisters both read those and were like, chapter nine, I couldn't handle it. That was my least favorite chapter. And then and they're like scarred about it. And my mom, who's a therapist, uh, 
sent me a message recently and she's like, chapter nine. I thought it was hilarious. So, you know, can't please everyone. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't. Well, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep writing those chapter nines and the chapters one through nine too, please, because this is a joy. I wish you the very best with your work. And I promise to follow along online. Um, Everybody should, taking tips from you and and from your terrific staff that works at the right practice. The book is Crowdsourcing Paris. It's available at Amazon. Joe Bunting can always be found online at the right practice. Want more? I run full transcripts of all the episodes of QWERTY on my website, marionroach.com, which is where you'll also learn about the many online classes I teach in how to write memoir. Meet me there. Meet me there.